Are we recording? Yes, we are. Fantastic. Let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm Louisa. I'm an autistic academic at the University of Reading, and I'm your podcast host for season three of Psychological. As you might already know, if you've listened to the previous two seasons with Sue, Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning and neurodiversity. Today's Psychological is with Connor Keating from the University of Birmingham. Connor is on the phone with me today to talk about one of his recent papers, Differences Between Autistic and Non-Autistic Adults in the Recognition of Anger from Facial Motion Remain After Controlling for Alexithymia. So... Hello, Connor. How are you doing today? Hi, Louisa. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me on. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah, thank you for asking. So the first thing we'll start off, um, would you be able to tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Yeah, sure. So in this study, we assessed how well autistic and non-autistic participants could read facial expressions that varied in emotion, speed and their level of spatial exaggeration. The primary finding from this study was that autistic adults had greater difficulties than non-autistic adults in recognising angry expressions with normal speed and spatial intensity. Interestingly, the autistic and non-autistic individuals were equally as good at recognising anger at other speeds and spatial intensities and were also equally as good at recognising happiness and sadness across all of these different levels of speed and spatial manipulation. Therefore, our results suggest that autistic people may have a specific difficulty recognising angry expressions and that this will be for those expressions that they typically see day to day. So those that are moving with normal speed and normal spatial manipulation. Okay, so with um, the spatial manipulation thing, would you be able to kind of explain what that is a little bit for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, of course. So what we would typically term um, sort of how exaggerated expression is, so how sort of far each of those individual facial features is moving, Mm. that speaks to the level of spatial intensity. So if someone is uh, sort of doing a really exaggerated, happy expression, then we might say that that sort of has high spatial intensity. Yeah. So you found that, so let me know if I've got this right. So you found that the autistic people were kind of as good for happiness but had a difficulty with anger. Yeah, so autistic and non-autistic individuals had exactly the same accuracy scores for happiness and sadness across all of the different levels of speed and spatial intensity. But actually, it was just for anger, specifically at this point with normal speed and normal spatial exaggeration. So it seems to be a very specific um, emotion difficulty there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Interesting. And why do you think you might have found those results then? Yeah, so I think that's a really great question. And there are a number of potential explanations for these findings. But I guess I'll tell you what our current working hypothesis is at the moment. Um, So in this study, crucially, the facial expressions displayed to participants were posed by non-autistic actors. Mm -hmm. So it's been well documented in literature across the past sort of 10 years that autistic and non-autistic individuals produce different facial expressions when conveying emotion. And it's also well documented that people use their own movements in order to help them recognise the emotions of other individuals. So to sort of give an example of this, we know that people typically walk faster when they're angry and slower when they're sad. But -hmm. crucially, if you're a fast walker yourself, then someone who walks at like a normal speed, which is relatively slower than you, might actually they might actually appear sad to you. Um, And so this is a clear example of how we use our own movement profiles to help us interpret the effective states of other people. 
and therefore bringing this together back to facial expressions since autistic and non-autistic people produce different facial expressions and since we use our own movement profiles to help us recognize the emotions of other people the autistic participants might have struggled to recognize the non-autistic expressions in this study simply because they're dissimilar to what they would adopt themselves so effectively you could say that autistic and non-autistic faces are speaking a different language when it comes to conveying emotion and this could then lead to bi-directional emotion recognition difficulties um, but of course if this mismatch in facial expressions is to explain our findings that autistic individuals struggle to read non-autistic angry but not happy or sad expressions then we might expect to find greater differences in the production of angry than happy and sad facial expressions too and interestingly to sort of speak a bit to that explanation um, in some very early pilot study data this is exactly what we found so our preliminary findings are starting to suggest um, that there are larger differences in the production of anger than happiness and sadness with autistic participants displaying greater jerk at certain regions of their face when making an angry expression and crucially there aren't really these differences for happiness and sadness That's so I guess yeah. yeah, sorry. Could explain your findings from the study that we're looking at at the moment then, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really, really interesting to think about this because yeah, all of these findings together, therefore, like suggest that autistic individuals' difficulties just might actually be underpinned by a mismatch in the production of facial expressions. Um, so that probably has quite significant implications for how we view autism more broadly. Yeah. Um, although perhaps I'll chat a bit more about that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sounds good. And um, so the study that you did at the moment when you're kind of just looking at recognition of the emotions, what motivated you to look at that basically and to do your study in that way? Yeah, so there were quite a lot of different reasons for conducting our study. Um, but one primary motivation was to test a relevant theory about autistic emotion recognition called the alexithymia hypothesis. Yep. So for those of you who aren't too familiar with alexithymia, alexithymia is a subclinical condition characterised by difficulties identifying, describing and differentiating between different emotions. And whilst in the non-autistic population, there are around 5% of the population that have alexithymia, in the autistic population, we see really elevated rates with around 50% having co-occurring alexithymia. So as a result, this alexithymia hypothesis proposes that actually autistic individuals' difficulties with emotion processing, including emotion recognition, arise as a result of co-occurring alexithymia and not autism itself. Okay. Um, but importantly, before our study, research had only tested this hypothesis using static images of faces and not actually used dynamic emotional expressions. Mm. However, of course, it's really important that actually we look at this with moving facial expressions as expressions that you and I see day to day are like intrinsically dynamic in, in nature. Um, so therefore, I guess overall, our study wanted to test and the alexithymia hypothesis by matching autistic and non-autistic participants on alexithymia and then seeing whether any differences in dynamic emotion recognition remained. Um, so I guess that was sort of our primary motivation yeah. uh, for the study. Really yeah. yeah, I mean, people look so different, don't they, when they're still and moving. So this is a complete side note that I'm going to come in with now. Well, I've recently, I've been sort of like scroll I've deleted it but I scrolled through tinder very briefly for a few days and I realized that I find it so weird to look at people when they're not moving and try and like evaluate them because you can't get a good indication of the person so I found that weird so yeah it just kind of brought that home that it, people are very different when they're moving and not 
but yeah so what how yeah. did you actually do your study and make your stimuli then was it kind of people moving or did you kind of manipulate images to move yeah so in terms of the stimuli um generation i can't take any credit for this whatsoever because it was all done by my um colleague um at the university of birmingham who's really fantastic called sophie Salden, and she originally um constructed this stimulus stimulus set um for use sort of in this task that was then first used with non-autistic people. Um, but what they basically did was um, they filmed non-autistic actors expressing different emotional states and specifically it was anger, happiness and sadness. Mm -hmm. um, and then what they did is they then fed these videos into some software which then could manipulate them in terms of their level of spatial intensity. And then they also manipulated their speed too. So that there were sort of all of these different levels of um, these point-like displays, I suppose you could say. Um, and then in our study, what we did is we matched 30 autistic and 30 non-autistic participants on different factors that we thought might be important for emotion recognition, like age, gender, non-verbal reasoning, and alexithymia, as I've sort of mentioned previously. Um, and then the participants completed this emotion recognition task that again was originally designed by Sophie Salden. And in this task, participants view emotional point-like displays of the face, which I've just described. And these are effectively a series of moving dots which convey human human facial expressions. But it's not and actually then, the face that they see then, they see dots. So they see like a sort of, a, it's called biological motion often in, yes. the, um, yeah. in the literature, but it's, it's basically just a series of white moving dots on a black background um, that convey motion. Um, and I guess that's something to talk about a bit later on as a limitation of, of our study and something yeah. that would be really interesting to do next. Um, but the reason we decided to use these point light displays is because they have really tight control on um, certain factors like um, contrast, textural, colour, luminance cues and things like that. So we could really hone in on the effects of sort of motion um, in our study. Um, does it look like a face then the point estimates yeah, yeah so it's oh. really easy to sort of um, tell that it's definitely a facial expression even though there's only 68 points being shown to you wow. um, so it's really remarkable I, I didn't quite believe it <laughs> until I like saw the stimuli myself um, but it's, yeah it's really interesting um, so these point light displays um, as I've said they will sort of vary in emotion they vary in spatial intensity and then they also vary in their speed as well. Mm. Um, and on each trial, we just presented participants with one of these point light faces and then they had to rate how angry, happy or sad the person appeared on a sliding scale from one to ten. And then we just calculated emotion recognition accuracy as the correct emotion rating minus the mean of the two incorrect emotion ratings. Um, so it was sort of more of a differentiation measure of accuracy where it's like how how well can you identify that it's an angry expression over That's a happy or sad expression? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So what was your kind of like age and what kind of people did you recruit? How old were they? Yeah. So we recruited um, all autistic and non-autistic adults. Um, they had a mean age of around 31 in both groups. Okay. Um, so sort of past the stage of adolescence was our, yeah. our mean. Um yeah. And we had quite a nice range of, of different scores in terms of like nonverbal reasoning, alexithymia, autistic traits, um, and sort of the, the youngest participant in each group was 18. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a nice, nice variety. Yeah, awesome. And um, could you tell me a little bit more about the analysis that you did? I think you've kind of 
said it a little bit already in saying kind of how you worked out those scores, but how did you kind yeah. of compare the groups and stuff? What did you yeah, do? of course. So um, what we did in this study is we ran something that's called an analysis of variance or ANOVA. Um, and what you can do in ANOVAs is you can add multiple factors that you want to compare across. And so what we basically did is we compared accuracy scores across our autistic and non-autistic participants across all of our emotions, so the angry, happy and sad displays, across all of the spatial levels, so like the 50%, 100% and 150% level, and then across all of the speed levels too. So it was across the 50, 100 and 150% speed level too. Um, and then what we identified was a significant four-way interaction between these variables, which, as you can imagine, was an absolute delight to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, um, when we did manage to unpack this interaction, we yeah. found that autistic participants had significantly lower accuracy than non-autistic participants, but only for angry expressions moving with normal speed and spatial exaggeration, as I've mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was particularly interesting because this really wasn't what we were expecting from the previous literature. We we sort of thought since we'd matched our participants on alexithymia that we wouldn't actually see any group differences. Um, but actually, the fact that we still see these differences after matching our participants on alexithymia suggests that this specific difficulty with angry expressions is relevant to autism and not alexithymia, thus contradicting the alexithymia hypothesis I spoke about a bit earlier on. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you what what you thought we might learn from this study, but I think you just covered it with that answer there already. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess something more broadly about mm. this whole program of work that, or like bits of work that we're doing, I think we can learn is um, sort of going back to this idea that um, recognition differences might be resulting from production differences, and I think this is a really crucial thing to sort of shine a light on and illuminate right now. Um, because if it is the case that autistic individuals struggle to recognise non-autistic anger expressions simply because they're dissimilar to how they show anger on their own faces, then this has really important implications for how we conceptualise the socio-communicative abilities of autistic people more broadly. Because historically, autistic people have been said to have deficits or impairments in emotion recognition, and I say those in inverted commas. However, of course, our results suggest that this might not be an accurate way to describe these abilities. And rather, we think that we should recognise that emotion recognition difficulties arise as a result of differences between autistic and non-autistic people, and actually because autistic people are just placed within a non-autistic world. And I think here it's really important to say that in other studies, it's been found that non-autistic individuals also struggle to read autistic facial expressions. Yeah, so yeah. therefore, if you place right. them within a within an autistic world, they would also show so-called deficits in emotion yeah. recognition too. So it's, it's really clear from some of these findings that actually overall, um, we should be shifting away from this idea of deficit in autism towards one of difference that results from the interaction between autistic and non-autistic people. Yeah, which is, yeah, really important. I mean, there's research kind of about conversation styles and things, isn't there? And kind of information transfer being better between pairs of autistic people versus like mixed pairs, isn't there? So kind of, yeah, a lot of research is kind of more going towards just recognising that there are differences and kind of it goes both ways as well. So non-autistic people are kind of worse at recognising things from autistic people too, which is nice. It's it's good that research is going that way. It's really exciting to hear about that. And your your research is awesome. So, 
yeah. Oh, thanks. No, I think there's some really amazing work coming out from yeah. from all sorts of researchers out there that sort of stemmed originally from Damien Milton talking about this yeah, double empathy, empathy problem, which is effectively what, what we're talking about here. And then I think the study you were describing was from Catherine Crompton, wasn't that's it, about sort yeah. of information transfer. And I think that's a really awesome paradigm for studying um sort of autistic autistic dyads and non-autistic dyads and then mixed dyads and then looking at sort of the effects for those interactions so yeah it's a great read for anyone listening if if you want to go yeah. away and read that yeah, it's no, nothing I... to do with me but <laughs> it's a great read so go and read it <laughs> it's a good paper definitely um so i guess now is there there's a bit of time yeah we can ask what what are you going to do next basically so i think you've kind of said about your pilot data already so is that what you're working on at the moment at yes yeah. so that's that's completely right so I'm about to start data collection for our study on Monday actually Ooh. which aims to replicate our preliminary findings about the differences in facial expressions between autistic and non-autistic people so that'll be really exciting to see those results um, and whether or not they sort of hold up and um, I'm, I'm also currently in the process of building a mechanistic model of emotion recognition so that we can understand what mechanisms underpin emotion recognition difficulties and, and I'm really hoping that one day we'll be able to apply this model to a range of clinical and subclinical conditions that have difficulties with emotion recognition such as those with alexithymia or psychosis or depression for example um so yeah watch this space for those sorts of things and hopefully yeah. it won't be long until it's all out <laughs> yeah that sounds great and obviously if, if things do come out soon that are related to the podcast when you've got future papers we can share it again for people to see it in the future so watch this space that would be great thank you so much right and my final question is less related to the paper but now if there are people that are earlier on in their careers than you maybe undergraduate or early very early PhD students that are listening at the moment would you have any advice for them? <laughs> yeah so I think probably my number one piece of advice is well it comes with a caveat but my number one piece of advice is to say yes to things um, when you're starting out your undergrad degree or your PhD because it just opens so many opportunities for you so whether it be say yes to volunteering or saying yes to being an admin of a journal club role or saying yes to getting involved in a network or to being involved in a research project then then I think it's a really good idea because it enriches your whole experience it also enhances your CV too um so I'd really recommend that but the caveat is <laughs> you also need to learn when to say no <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and that's something I'm working on <laughs> yeah well my thing at the moment maybe my my current rule for saying no to things might help you and maybe people listening as well I have a rule with myself at the moment that if anybody asks me for additional things I don't say yes unless it's something that I would be excited to do in my own time do you know what that is a, a good sort of mantra to live by and maybe that's what I need to be doing taking forward so I think this is a that was a great sort of combination there we've got the yes and then we've also got how to cope with feeling no. whether it's a yeah. not a no or not so yeah, yeah I love that, that was good. yeah nice nice one to end on there but yeah <laughs> thank you very much for coming along and joining me it's been fantastic and for anybody listening thank you for joining us and you can find out more about Connor and his work by following the links in the podcast description on Buzzsprout or in your podcast app, and join us again at the same time next week for another episode of Psychological. Bye!